0: Our Father, we come to you. i want going to bring our hearts to you right now, Lord. I like the Father with his Son in Scripture we read. We confess, Lord, that, that we believe, but we also need you to help our unbelief. we believe in the gospel, we believe that you are our creator and sustainer, and that though we sinned against you and and though we deserve death and hell and condemnation, that in your love and your grace you sent your very Son to take our place, to die for our sins, to rise again, that one day he will come again, that our hope is in glory, our hope is eternal, or we believe these things, yet we need you to help our unbelief because we do not live so often like these things are true. And and we come this morning and confess that we can do nothing to change our hearts. That we, we cannot turn faith on like a light switch, but that we... We come empty. We, we come helpless. We come with no ability in ourselves to change our situation, to change our hearts, but, but we also believe what we just saying that your Spirit does this work. And that your Spirit does this work as your Spirit unfolds your Word to us and shows us Christ through your Word. And so right now, we bow before You, we humble ourselves before You, and we confess how much we need to hear Your words, how much we need Your Spirit to unfold Your truth to our hearts so that we see Christ, so that we're moved to deeper faith, so that we see and believe and put our lives into the realities of the Gospel more and more. Lord, we, we come and say we need You right now as we prepare to open Your Word. You are a God who speaks. And you speak redemptively, Father. You speak to change us and to help us and to let us know your love and your peace and your comfort and your hope. And so I pray this morning as we prepare to open the book of Jonah that that you would accomplish your work through your word. That, That what is dead will come to life, what is weary will be revived, what is, what is dull will be made new again. Lord, Lord, we pray all of this, not for our own sake, ultimately, but for your glory's sake. Father, we, we pray that you would magnify your power, show forth your greatness, let us see and taste your goodness. Lord, bring our hearts up today into a place of deeper worship of who you are. Lord, I pray for help as I prepare right now to preach this chapter of Jonah, which has been difficult this week to to understand in some ways. I pray, Lord, that your word would be clear to us and that your work would be powerful among us this morning. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can open your Bible to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2. We're going to be looking at Jonah 2, 1 through 10. This week we're continuing our series, Runaway Prophet, Rescuing God. Before we look at Jonah 2, I want to talk a little bit a little bit this morning about stories. I want to ask you, if you had to boil it down to one thing, if you had to choose one thing, what makes a great story? What makes a great story? As a young dad, I have learned that I'm not a very good storyteller. At night, I try to tell my kids stories, and... They're just awful. I am not good at it. I'm, I'm good at creating characters. You know, there's a, a unicorn princess and a, and a big bad giant and, and a little little Prince Jack and Princess Lucy. And, we, you know, we'll, we'll get the characters and we'll even get a good setting. They live in a big castle far away and there was, there was a rainbow over the castle all the time and there was snow in the backyard all the time. But so, so once I set up the characters in the story, my, my problem is that I can't come up with a good plot. I cannot come up with a plot that, that makes you want to keep listening and and just trying to get through to the end, happily ever after, Like I can't do it. But but that's the thing. A great story comes from a great plot, right? A, a great plot is what makes a great story. You you want a plot that keeps you on the edge of your seat. You want to know what happens next. So that's why the Avengers movies were so popular, right? Because at the end of every movie, they give this cliffhanger that makes you need to see the next one. What's going to happen next? That, so this is what makes a great story, a plot that drives you forward, that keeps you wondering what's going to happen. Well, Jonah is a great story, but the way that chapter 1 ends and the way that chapter 2 unfolds kind of makes you wonder, did the author of Jonah forget about this basic reality of storytelling? Let me explain what I mean. In Jonah, we remember the story in chapter 1. God calls Jonah to go to Nineveh, to preach his message of judgment to them, that they might repent and be saved. Jonah says, no way, I'm going the other way. He, he gets on a boat, he flees the other way away from God to Tarshish, and God sends a storm. In the storm, Jonah refuses to call out to God, and, and so uh, eventually Jonah says, throw me overboard. That's the only way that the sailors on this boat would, would make it alive. And so, so Jonah is thrown overboard. The sailors come to fear the Lord. And then in verse 17 of chapter 1, Here's what we read. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And then here's what we call a spoiler alert. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That's a spoiler alert. It tells us what happens. Right there, right when he get swallowed by the fish, what, what I would do if I was telling the story is I would I would not say that last sentence. He's swallowed by the fish and, and leave the reader wondering what happens next. But he just tells us what happens next. He just says... He was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. He got out. He got out of the fish. It wasn't forever. He tells us what happens. And then chapter 2 is all about Jonah inside the fish. And it doesn't make sense from a story perspective at first because we already know he gets out, but then we pan back into the fish in chapter 2 and we see what happened in the fish. And you wonder, was was he, just like me, Is he a bad storyteller? Do you not know how to keep the tension of the plot up? But I think what's happening in Jonah, at the end of chapter 1, the beginning of chapter 2, is that the author of Jonah is telling a different story than we think he's telling. We think that he's telling a story that's about about the preservation of Jonah's life at this point. But he tells us, no, don't worry, he he makes it out alive. I want your focus to be here. And in chapter 2, what we get is no narrative development. We, we, this, this whole morning, we're not going to see anything new in the story of Jonah in terms of what happens next. We know what happens next. He gets out of the fish in the end. But what he's doing is he's showing us Jonah's heart in the fish. And here's the story that the author of Jonah is telling. The author of Jonah is telling a story that's about the transformation of Jonah's heart. And so by, t- by telling us the end of chapter 1, he was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Essentially, he's saying... The story is not about what happens to Jonah's life. The story is about what happens to Jonah's heart. Look at chapter 2. Look at his heart in chapter 2. Look at what happens in Jonah. And, and what we've said in the series is that we all are like Jonah, right? J- Jonah is a reflection of each one of us. And so if chapter 2 shows us Jonah's heart, then chapter 2 shows us our hearts. It shows us our hearts. And so this morning, what we're going to see in Jonah chapter 2, again, is is nothing new in terms of the story. We know Jonah's in the fish. We know he gets out. But what we're going to see is how the the author of Jonah develops the real story. Who is Jonah? What's happening in Jonah's heart? What do we need to learn from that? So let's read chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, and then we'll look at that question. What is happening in Jonah's heart? Jonah 2, verses 1 through 10. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This chapter is very simple structure. We, we see... In verse 1, the introduction to Jonah's song, the, the, the scene is set for us in verse 1. Then verses 2 through 9 is this song of Jonah that he prayed inside the belly of the fish. And then verse 10 is the release of Jonah from the fish. We're going to focus in on the song today and look at the song for these heart attitudes. We're going to see four heart attitudes that we see in Jonah's prayer in verses 2 through 9. But before we look at 2 through 9, I want to make one observation from Verse 1. Look at verse 1 again. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish. Something has changed, hasn't it, in Jonah? Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. All of chapter 1, what were we wanting Jonah to do? Just pray. Just call out to God. Just turn from your sin. Turn to Him. Repent. Call out for mercy. And Jonah would not do it when he... When the the storm came, he went down to the boat, was asleep. The the, the captain came and said, call out to your God. Jonah wouldn't do it. They said, what should we do? Instead of saying, I'm going to repent, he says, throw me overboard. Jonah refused all throughout chapter 1 to call out to God. He was running from God. He would not pray to God. And yet, in chapter 2, something's changed. We, We see a turning point in Jonah because Jonah finally prays says he prayed to the Lord, his God. In chapter 1, he confessed that he feared the Lord, but now we see him returning to the Lord as his God, praying to the Lord. And, and, and this is a turning point for Jonah. He's finally beginning to ascend from that descent that we saw in chapter 1, where he went down to Joppa, down into the boat, down into the stern, down into the sea. Now he's finally beginning to return to the Lord. And so he's praying inside the belly of the fish. And just picture this, church, because we grew up with pictures of Jonah, and what we picture is is a big open space, and Jonah's got a little candle, right? And he's in the whale, and, he's, and maybe he's got his hymnal with him, and he's, he's praying and he's singing, but that's not what's happening with Jonah. Jonah is inside this fish. It's dark. It's nasty. He doesn't know what's going to happen. He, he's... he's Probably scrunched up and, and wet and it's just disgusting. And he's and he's in there and he's and he begins to pray to God. And and, and in the fish, he he prays this psalm. And what we find out in this psalm is that what, what this psalm is, it's it's actually a psalm of thanksgiving. Two through nine, this is a song of thanksgiving from Jonah to the Lord. See, Jonah's in the fish, he's not been delivered to the land yet, but Jonah recognizes that God has already done a rescue. Jonah recognizes that he was about to die, and then a fish came, and he realizes, I'm alive. I'm not dead, I'm alive. And so he sings this song of rescue to the Lord. And what I want to do as we go through this song again is look at four heart attitudes that we see in Jonah. First, Let's look at verses 2 and 3. Jonah says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. So Jonah is thinking back here to what happened to him in the ocean, in the storm. God has answered him, and so he's saying the song of thanksgiving. He begins this song of thanksgiving by remembering his experience. And what does he say? He says that he was cast into the deep, he was cast into the heart of the sea. The floods surrounded him, the waves and billows passed over him. Just imagine being in the ocean in a storm. You are surrounded by water, waves are crashing over your head over and over again. This was Jonah's experience at this point. Now, listen to what. He says, though, about the Lord, he says, you cast me into the deep. You cast me into the deep. Your waves passed over me. Your billows passed over me. Here's the first heart attitude we see in Jonah, is that he acknowledges God's hand in his life. He acknowledges God's hand. He acknowledges God's control. He acknowledges what God is doing. He recognizes that, yes, even though these sailors are the ones that threw me over, no, God, it was you who cast me into the deep. Even though these waves are crashing, but I know it's your hand that is pushing these waves over my head. This is from you. This is from the Lord. He acknowledges God's hand. Now, in chapter 1, we saw that Jonah... had had a framework for understanding God is sovereign. He said, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. He said, it's because of me that the storm has come upon you. But now, to the Lord, he finally acknowledges in prayer, this is from you. This is from you. Well, just think about that in your life, church, when you're in a storm, when you're in a trial. We can at one level know that God is in control, but it takes a whole different kind of thing in our heart to go to the Lord and say you did this this was your hand you cast me into the sea your billows passed over me to come to the Lord and acknowledge to him that this is all part of your plan this is all part of what you are doing in my life he acknowledges God's hand he comes to to the Lord and confesses you are the one in control now look again at verse 4 then I said I am driven away from your sight. So so this is Jonah's interpretation of what's happening in his life at this point. These these, these waves are passing over him. He's drowning in the sea. And he says to himself, I'm driven away from your sight. In the ocean, he, he comes to this conclusion, God is done with me. I'm driven away from your sight. But then... Look at the end of verse 4. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. It's like this is a moment of clarity for Jonah. As as he is descending into the ocean, faith ascends in his heart. He, he recognizes The moment that he says, I'm driven away from your sight, he recognizes, no, no, God, you are a gracious God. You are for me. I know that I will look upon your holy temple. Even though these waves are crashing over my head, even though I'm drowning, even though I'm about to die, I believe that I will look upon your holy temple again. And we see faith in God's grace shine through in Jonah. He not only acknowledges God's hand, but then he has faith in God's grace in this moment. He says, even though I know that this storm is a judgment from you for my sin, he also recognizes and believes that this is not the end. He believes that God will not let him truly go down to the belly of Sheol. He believes that he will look upon the presence of God in his temple again. Faith shines through for Jonah here. Just Think about that. There is no hope for Jonah, is there? Again, think of the scene you are drowning. You are waves are crashing over your head. There's a storm all around you. The floods are pressing down on you. Absolute despair, knowing that it's for your sin that this is happening and then in the middle of it this this clarity. You won't let you won't let me die. You will not let this be the end. I will see your temple again. It makes no sense. It makes no sense in the story of Jonah. It would make no sense for someone to say that in this moment, except that Jonah knows that God is a gracious God. Jonah knows that God is for him. Jonah believes that God has a plan. And Jonah puts his faith in God's grace. So again, think about your life. Think about the storms that you're in. You, you recognize, God, this is from you. You recognize, God, you are sovereign. You have done this, but then in that, you also say, God, I believe you are for me. I believe that, that you will not let this be to my demise. I believe that you will work this for good. I, I believe I shall look upon your temple again. Faith in God's grace comes through for Jonah in this moment. Well, in that moment uh, was not apparently the moment that, that Jonah was rescued. Look again down in verse 5. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep Surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped about my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. And so Jonah's had this moment of faith, but he continues to go down. He says that the weeds are wrapped about his head. He's he's getting tangled up in the water. He's he's going down to the bottom of the ocean. The water is pressing down on him. He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed on me forever. Jonah knows this is it. I'm going to die. Yet. You brought up my life from the pit, O oh Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. At the last moment, when it all seemed hopeless, it all seemed lost, God rescued Jonah from death, God sent the whale, and the whale swallowed Jonah. And again, Jonah recognizes in this whale, I'm alive, I'm not dead. God heard my prayer. God heard my cry. God responded to my plea for mercy. My prayer came to him. It reached him, and he responded. And so he says, "...those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love." but I with the voice of thanksgiving will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay salvation belongs to the Lord This is the third hard attitude we see we see gratitude for God's deliverance acknowledgment of God's hand faith in God's grace and then gratitude for God's deliverance Jonah recognizes I was going to die and God saved me and I am thankful to him for saving me and with With thanksgiving, I'm going to sacrifice to Him. I'm going to live for Him. I'm going to fulfill the vows I've made to Him because of what He's done for me. He remembered me, and I'm going to live in thanksgiving in response. This is so good. This is is the pattern of the gospel in our lives, is that that God saves us, and we respond with gratitude. We, We say, thank you for saving me. Thank you for raising my life up from the pit. I want to give my life to you. I want to walk... In your path, I don't want to run away from you anymore. Jonah is coming back to the Lord and saying, I want to live for you because you have saved me. As a, as a sacrifice of thanksgiving to you who remembered me. And so there's so many good things happening in Jonah in this chapter. We, we see Jonah in, in a positive light for the first time in this book. He's he's praying to God. He is acknowledging God's hand. He's putting his faith in God's grace. He's thanking God for his salvation. But there's a fourth attitude, I believe, that we see in these verses. And And it paints a little bit of a different picture of Jonah here for us. I need to remember, when we interpret Scripture that Context determines meaning. That, that, that's, a, that's a Bible study principle that we always want to apply whenever, wherever, wherever we are in Scripture, whatever we're reading. The, the context determines the meaning of something. And in Jonah chapter 2, if, if this was just a standalone psalm, if this was just somewhere in the Psalms without any context, we probably would not make anything else of it. We would just say what we just said and that would be it. But in the context of the story of Jonah, we can't help but but read it a little bit differently. Well, let me say it this way. In Jonah chapter 1, again, what is Jonah chapter 1 all about? It's all about Jonah running away from God, rebelling against God, disobeying the Word of God, not praying to God. Chapter 2 comes, and he's praying, what would you expect Jonah to to say, after chapter 1, when chapter 2 comes and he finally prays to the Lord. What would you expect, based on the story of Jonah, for Jonah to do in his prayer to God? You would expect confession of sin. You would expect, I was wrong. You would expect I rebelled against you. You would expect, I deserved this judgment. You would expect, please forgive me for my sin. Please cleanse my heart. Please make me new. You would expect a turning of, of from his sin to the Lord. But all you see, all you see is Jonah thanking God for saving him from the storm. But you don't see this, this confession that you would expect to see. And as the book goes forward, we will realize that Jonah really, hasn't changed all that much. Verses 8 and 9, again, by themselves, you might not think too much of it, but think about where Jonah has been, the fact that there is no confession, and then then read verses 8 and 9 again. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. See what Jonah does there? Jonah sets up two groups of people in his mind those who pay regard to vain idols. And over here, himself. We We got idolaters, and we've got me, Jonah. He says, Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of receiving steadfast love. From God, They're not going to receive steadfast love from God because they're worshiping idols, but I, I'm not like them. I'm going to sacrifice to you. I'm going to thank you. I'm going to live for you. What I have vowed, I will pay because you've saved me, and I worship you. And we see here in these verses that something's creeping through in Jonah's prayer here, and that is this sense of superiority that Jonah still has over idolaters. Now, something in this text that I think confirms this for us, who in the book so far has paid regard to vain idols? That we've seen, clearly, the sailors, right? In chapter 1, the sailors were worshiping and and calling out and and praying for salvation to their gods, and their gods were doing what? Nothing. All these false gods, and, and, and in this storm, they were not responding to their cries, and that's the last that Jonah really saw, was was these pagan idolaters who are calling out to their gods, and they're not doing anything for them. He doesn't know what happened next. He says, he says, "I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed; I will pay." But where else have we seen that language? Sacrifice and vowing. Look back at chapter one, verse sixteen. Then the men, the sailors, feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So these idolaters, these these sailors who paid regard to vain idols, by the end of chapter 1, they are worshiping the Lord, they are sacrificing to Him, they are making vows to Him. But here's Jonah, unaware of what has happened to them, saying, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love, but I'm going to sacrifice to you. I'm going to make vows to you. I'm going to thank you. You see what's happening? There's an irony here to what Jonah's saying. He is thinking that he is better than the sailors. He's thinking that that they have no hope, but that he has hope because of who he is, because he's one of God's people. God has given steadfast love to him. He he doesn't realize that God has done the same thing for them that he has done for him. He he doesn't realize that the sailors in him have experienced the same salvation and that they're making the same response that he now commits to make. There's this superiority coming through. Listen, Listen to what Tim Keller says about this he says, despite Jonah's breakthrough here, Jonah has not grasped grace as deeply as we might first think he has. There is still a sense of superiority and self righteousness. He sees the literal idols that the pagans worship and doesn't see the more subtle idols in his own life that keep him from fully grasping that he, too, just like the heathen, lives only equally by God's grace. He sees their idols, but he still doesn't see his idols. He may know that he's sinned because he recognizes, God, this was your hand against me, but he's not confessed what's going on in his heart to the Lord yet. He's returned to him in prayer, but he's not returned to him at the deepest level. There's still work to do in Jonah's heart. Now this makes verse 10... All the more surprising. Because in verse 10, the Lord releases Jonah from the fish, but but we have to ask, how, how might God have responded at this moment? If, if Jonah really has not learned his lesson, if Jonah really has not yet confessed his sin, if he's not yet repented of what he's done, if he's not yet asked for forgiveness, God could have let Jonah stay in that whale as long as he wanted to until Jonah finally got it. He could said, you are not getting out of time out until you say you're sorry, <laughs> right? But he doesn't do that. God, in his mercy, releases Jonah from the whale, even though Jonah still has work to do. Even though Jonah's not where he needs to be yet, God, in his mercy, saves him. Jonah ended his prayer saying, salvation belongs to the Lord. But I think he didn't really realize how true that was in his own life. Because the Lord saves Jonah, even though Jonah really hasn't even understood the depth of his own sin yet. Even though Jonah really hasn't even repented in a a full way yet, the Lord still is merciful to save him. And why? Because salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation is not contingent on Jonah having a deep enough grasp of his sin. It's not contingent on Jonah turning enough, to, salvation is contingent on the Lord's grace in his life, the Lord's decision to save him. Jonah called out in faith, in genuine faith to the Lord, but even, even though he wasn't there yet, God decided in his mercy, in his grace, to save him. And so, and so this is Jonah chapter 2. It's an interesting chapter. I, I've wrestled with this chapter this week. What do we make of this chapter? There's a lot of good things here. It's a lot of things that we can we can read in this psalm. We can just pray these prayers to God ourselves. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for hearing me. I want to give my life to you. You, you remembered me. We can, we can pray that we can respond to God's salvation in our lives the way that Jonah responded. That we want to give our lives to you. Yet at the same time we see we see these hints in Jonah's heart that he's not where he needs to be. And then we see the Lord save in many ways. So. What do we make of this chapter? Well, I just want to give three takeaways for us this morning, three three things that we can walk away with knowing from this chapter, three lessons from this chapter. First, our hearts are always in progress. Our hearts are always in progress. This picture of Jonah in chapter two. Is real. It, 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 this is this is such an accurate picture of the heart of a believer. God is doing good things. There's there's growth. There's change. There's faith. There's gratitude. Yet at the same time, there's sin and there's idols and there's hiding and there's there's running away from God at the same exact time. This is such an accurate picture of our hearts in this life. We're not just either all in sin or all in holiness. We, we are always mixed. Our hearts are always in progress. We're never quite where we need to be in our relationship with the Lord. There's so many, there's so many lessons inside that lesson that we can learn. On the one hand, this should drive us to, to always pursue growth, to always pursue more holiness, to always pursue understanding our idols deeper and turning from them. We should, we should always come to the Word of God and, and say, Lord, I know that there's sin in me. I know there are idols in me. Please show them to me. Please help me to grow. At the same time, though, this, this, should, this should encourage us in a sense to realize that, that the Lord knows and understands and, and tells us that our hearts are never going to arrive in this life. We, we shouldn't grow overly despondent when we realize that we still have sin in our hearts. We shouldn't crash to the ground in despair when we realize that there's another idol in my heart that I didn't know was there. Because they're always going to be there. John Calvin said that our hearts are idol factories. There's turning out idols all the time. Just one after one. We don't don't see most of them. We're blind to most of them. I don't think that Jonah necessarily was even aware what he was not saying to God in this moment. He was turning to the Lord. He was praying. He was thanking God. He was giving his life to him. But he wasn't. Aware of this deep rooted sin, this deep rooted idol in his heart. Our hearts are always in progress. We need to understand that about ourselves in this life that we never arrive, we're never completely pure. Our hearts are always mixed, even as believers. This leads to the second takeaway we are all in equal need of God's grace. We are all in equal need of God's grace. And I think this is really where Jonah was struggling. I, I think that Jonah knew, in the ocean, I can't save myself. But he wasn't that surprised that God saved him. It, it wasn't it wasn't really a, a, a big mystery to him why God would save him. I mean, he was one of God's people. He, he wasn't an idolater. He worshipped the Lord, of course, God saved him. He knew he couldn't save himself, but at the same time, he, he kind of had this sense of, but yeah, of course he saved me. He had this sense of superiority to the sailors. He had a sense of superiority to the Ninevites, that, that he's better than them, that he's, he, he is more deserving of God's grace than they are. But, but what Jonah needed to learn is that, is that he was in equal need of God's grace as the sailors, in equal need of God's grace as the Ninevites, his heart was was no better than their hearts. Though they worshipped, as Tim Keller said, they worshipped the literal idol statues, he needed, he needed to see that I've I've got the same idols in my heart, I've got the same idols in my life. In equal need of God's grace. You know, it, it reminds me of the parable that Jesus gave of the Pharisee and the tax collector in the Gospel of Matthew. The the Pharisee and the tax collector are in the temple and and the Pharisee comes to the Lord, and he and he prays, and he says, "Thank you that I am not like this sinner." Now, he was probably genuine. He was probably very genuine. Thank you that I'm not like this sinner. Thank you that that you have helped me to live a holy life, a good life. But what's the problem with that prayer? The problem is that he needed to realize, no, I am like this sinner. I'm just like this sinner. I'm no different than this sinner. What he needed to say was, thank you that even though I'm just like this sinner, that you have not let my life go my own way. Thank you that you have, you have put your grace on my life so that, that even though I'm just like him, that, that you've allowed me to walk in holiness. But instead, he, he, he came to believe that he was different. He came to believe that he was better. He came to believe that there was something about him that was actually inherently superior to this tax collector over here. And this is what Jonah is struggling with. Jonah is struggling with realizing that he has the same heart as these sailors. Think about it in your life, or as you think about the people you interact with. Maybe, maybe it's people, people that's close to you in your family, your friend circles, or maybe it's just people you see, but do you understand that you are you have the same heart? That No, your sins might be different, your life might be different, but you share the same heart. Heart with every other human being on this planet. No one is less in need of grace. We are all equally in need of God's grace. There is no room for superiority. There is no room for self-righteousness. There is no room for believing, of course God chose me. We are all in equal need of God's grace. And so our hearts are always in progress. We need God's grace equally But this this is really where it's driving to today, church, is the third point. Salvation belongs to the Lord. This is the takeaway we need to have this morning. Salvation belongs to the Lord. That phrase, one commentator says, sums up the message of the entire Bible. Salvation belongs to the Lord. What it means is is that salvation is God's Possession. It's God's right. He is the one who grants salvation, and it has nothing to do with us. It has nothing to do with, with how we live, with how we how we operate, with anything inherent in us. Salvation is from beginning to end the gift of God. It belongs to Him. And this is good news for Jonah. And it's good news for the sailors, and it's good news for the Ninevites, and it's good news for you and me. Because if there was anything up to us in salvation, we would never be saved. If, if, if God was waiting on us to finally get it right, if God was waiting on us to feel sorry enough for our sin, if God was waiting on us to, to repent enough, if, if, if there was some bar we had to pass to get saved, it would never happen. Because we're we're always in progress, we're in equal need of God's grace, but salvation belongs to the Lord and He saves despite of ourselves. He he saves us because it's His decision to save us, because it's His gift from beginning to end. You know, the the Reformation 500 years ago uh, gave us this phraseology that that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. And this is what we see in Jonah chapter 2. We see a man who needed to be saved. We see that he did not deserve to be saved, but that God gave him grace. And we see that all he did was he called out in faith to the Lord to save him. And the Lord saved him. The Lord rescued him when he called out in faith, when he when he turned to him and remembered him and put his faith in God's grace, the Lord rescued him. And on what basis did the Lord rescue him? On what basis did God extend grace to Jonah? When Jonah cried out in the storm of judgment, Save me, God, why did God save him? It's because later, as we've said every week, a better Jonah came who also cried out to God in the storm of judgment. A better Jonah came who cried out to God when he was facing God's judgment, but what he cried was this. He, he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The better Jonah, who never disobeyed, cried out to God, Why have you forsaken me? And God did not rescue this better Jonah from death. God did not rescue Jesus Christ from death. God let Jesus die and let Jesus take the storm of judgment on the cross so that when Jonah cried out, God did save Jonah. So that when the sailors cried out, God did save the sailors. So that when you and me cry out, God does save us by His grace that comes to us through the costly sacrifice of Jesus Christ who was forsaken by God for us. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And it's not about us. We're not saved because we contributed something. We're not saved because we were sorry enough, because we repented enough, because we believed enough. God's not measuring these things. God is saving all who look to Him in faith through Jesus Christ. It is His gift. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Well, I want to give a very, very, simple application today. No matter where you are this morning in your relationship with the Lord, no matter how far you have run, no matter how much you may have rebelled, no matter how much you may not even realize what your idols are, your sins are, wherever you are, where do we begin if salvation is the gift of God? What do we do? What should we do when we realize that we have sinned? What should we do when we realize that we have idols? What should we do when we realize that we need to change? Where do we begin? We need to begin where Jonah begins in verse 1. We pray to the Lord. Literally, you, you come to God in prayer, you bring your heart to Him, you, you express your thoughts to Him, you speak words to Him, and you, and you turn to Him, and you pray, and you say, Help me. Save me. I need Your grace. I need Your power to change my life. I need Your gospel. I need Your Son. And you pray. The, the, the way back to God always begins with prayer. Whenever we turn, whenever we sin, whenever we go the other way, the way back always begins with prayer. Because God has said, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so we're about to take communion in a few minutes. And as we take communion, what we are doing is we are remembering Jesus Christ. We are remembering that His body was broken for our sins, that His blood was poured out for our forgiveness, But as we take communion, I want to call you today to pray to God during communion, to to make that bread and cup to be a plea to God for salvation, a plea to God for grace, to, to say as you take the bread, to say, Lord, I need the body of Christ. As you drink the cup, to say, Lord, I need your forgiveness, to pray to him, to come to him in your heart and to believe Salvation belongs to the Lord and he has made it available to us through Christ alone.